0: Praise the Lord, everybody, and welcome to today's class in the book of Revelation. We're on chapter 19 today, and I'll tell you, I had a great time in my soul as we were teaching the second part of Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, the last time we were together. I felt the Holy Spirit moving all through those programs, and I really am thankful, I am thankful that the Spirit of God is changing lives through these radio broadcasts. I mean, it is thrilling to my heart. It really, really is. And uh, sometimes through this series in Revelation, we have clumsily uh, presented the material due to a lot of health reasons that I was experiencing. We are continuing, by the help and grace of the Lord, to climb up out of that pit and uh, we're running a little faster, we're thinking a little, uh, with a little more clarity, and God is just so, so good. Today we are in Revelation 19, and I want us to start uh, by reading the first 10 verses. And so here's what the Word of God says, Revelation 19, verses 1 through 10, incidentally, uh, I'll go ahead and say again what I've said so many times through this series is that I started this series, it was actually a couple years ago when we started to put it together. And um, toward the end of that putting together time, uh, we recorded the first six chapters. And then, due to our preaching schedule and some of the topics that God had laid on my heart for the places we were going, uh, we left off for a while and we preached on other things. We taught on other things and uh, we picked it back up, I, I don't know, several months later and we recorded uh, chapters 7 through 12. And then quite a few months went by. Again, we were preaching uh, a lot on prayer. I just felt the Holy Spirit tell me to bear down on different aspects of prayer and so several months more went by and then the beginning of this year we started with chapter 13 and we are now here today on chapter 19. Uh, There's been some ups and downs with my blood sugar and I've explained that before and sometimes when your blood sugar is off uh, you have to really concentrate hard to be able to keep your mind in a flow in a direction with the material that you have and so to be frank and honest with you uh, as is the case with so many people I had to make some lifestyle changes and I had to change the way I eat I had to change the way I rest and different things like that and now we are starting to see uh, a change in my condition praise God now I don't know If I'll have to take uh, medication or not, I won't really know that until mid-April. But I can say to you here on February the 6th of 2020 that we are so excited about the things God has dropped into our hearts to preach and teach in the coming days. Uh, I made mention, I think it was... Uh, on part 2 of chapter 17 of the book of Revelation when we taught that I made mention of um, some things that are taking place in the world of science today relative to uh, robotics and transhumanist and all different kinds of things like that and we are looking forward to putting together a, a program on some of that in the not too distant future and so God is so good he brings us through our valleys you know, life isn't just one big mountaintop. Sometimes we need the valleys to see a new perspective of our Heavenly Father. And so that having been said, I want to say what I've said many times is that when we did this, when we started this a couple of years back, the desire was to read the book of Revelation with my friends, my partners, my supporters, uh, And the general public, I mean everybody, just to share reading the book of Revelation together. The book of Revelation promises a blessing to those who read and study it and keep the words written in it. Powerful blessing. And also we wanted to kind of outline it for you, which as we get closer to the end of the series, uh, I will sit down and recap some of the outlining. And we wanted to drop off some nuggets and some, some high points of the book as we went through it. Were we to sit and try to do each subject of the book really in depth in word studies and in historical reference, uh, we would be here for 10 years just teaching this book. And I am a firm believer that we need the whole counsel of God. We need to learn about every Bible subject. And so I decided to make this a very important part of our recording schedule. And then we'll move on to another subject. But we will be doing some individual programs or some small series on different aspects of the end times. And we will go much deeper with them. So that brings us today to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. And we'll begin with verse 1. And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. True and righteous are His judgments. I don't care what the world says. I don't care what left-wing politicians says. God's ways are true, and God's ways are right, and God's ways are holy, and He has every right to expect these things from us. He is God, I am not, lest we forget. For He hath judged the great whore, that's mystery Babylon, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. And he hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, remember we talked about them uh, back in the beginning of our study. And the four beasts, the cherubim, fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. So they echo the sentiment, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants and ye that fear him both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunderings saying, hallelujah, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now the word omnipotent, of course, means all-powerful. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God forever. The Lord God all-powerful reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, is come, I should say, and His wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And of course the saints get righteous by faith in the blood of Jesus. By faith in what Jesus did for us at Calvary. And God then imputes the righteousness of Christ to me upon my faith. I don't deserve it. I cannot earn it. But God has given it because i I have faith in his son, I have faith in Jesus Christ, I trust him for my salvation, and then I trust him for every other aspect of my daily walk with the Lord. Praise God! And so we are literally clothed, hallelujah! We are clean, we are clean, child of God, and we are clothed in righteousness. And he saith unto me, Right. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren, that have the testimony of Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lord. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Praise God. Everything Jesus spoke. Listen to this. Jesus was the one who He was He's the Word. He's the living Word. And in the beginning, when nothing existed, everything the Word said was created. Amen? So Jesus, everything he speaks is prophecy. And even when we take a word from one of the epistles of Paul or wherever in the Bible, the Psalms, the prophets, whatever, and the Holy Spirit begins to apply that word to our heart and life. That word is speaking to us of what we shall be in the future also. So it may apply to me today, but it also has a greater application to what I am becoming. Praise God. And so everything out of Jesus' mouth is prophetic. Jesus doesn't always talk about end times. And as you study the four Gospels, and especially in depth, you will see that he doesn't always talk necessarily about end time events, but everything he says is prophetic because it's a living word and it contains the power to change your life. Hallelujah. And so Jesus speaks those things that are not as though they were, and he speaks change for you and for me Uh, also I want to look here this John knelt down to worship this messenger of God and the messenger said don't do it see that you do not do it I'm like you I'm one of your brothers worship God Now, here's the 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 point of that Christian we don't worship our particular way of doing things Uh, There's other people that do things a little bit differently that love God too and are saved by the blood of Jesus. We don't worship saints. We don't bow before statues of old Christians. We don't worship uh, the Virgin Mary. We don't worship any of the prophets. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so we have to line our worship up with the way God has said He will receive worship. A lot of times we think, well, you know, I'm just going to get my worship on, and we begin to do worship any way we want to do it. But I suggest that we study the Word of God about worship, and that we do worship the way God said, here's what I will receive as worship from you. And you'll be surprised how much of that has to do with the heart of the individual, so in these first 10, chap- uh, 10 verses of chapter 19, it's generally uh, considered to be parenthetical, and, and here's why. Um, the, the, the teaching on it here in the Bible is given after the vile judgments. But the actual fulfillment of these words that we read will be in heaven when all the tribulation saints and the two witnesses are raptured. And we of course were raptured before them. So when all the tribulation saints, when all the two when the two witnesses and when all the Christians have been raptured, that's when the Marriage Supper of the Lamb is. And so it's not in the air on the way up. And remember now, we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. So we were we will be raptured before the Great Tribulation starts. There is not going to be a marriage supper, think about it, on the way up. The marriage supper takes place in heaven. Now, uh, it'll take place before Christ comes back with his saints, so this passage is parenthetical. This is an explanation of something uh, that has previously taken place. it explains what's going on in heaven just before Christ returns to the earth with the saints. The great whore, Mystery Babylon, will already have been judged and the smoke of literal Babylon is ascending. The multitudes in heaven will be praising and glorifying God because this has been taken care of. All this judgment is about to be wrapped up. The great whore of Revelation 17 will be destroyed in the middle of the week. Okay? So we see how that sometimes there will be a pause in the timeline to refer back to things uh, that have already taken place. References made once more in this to the elders and the living creatures. They're worshiping God. Then the voice comes out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Then there is a great multitude saying, "Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, you know, I want to make this point right here. In comparison, Jesus said, The way to heaven, the way to life, is narrow, and few there be that find it. The broad road is very wide, and many people go in thereat. So in comparison to the whole of the world's population over the years, probably trillions and trillions and trillions of people that have lived since the beginning, I don't even know that we could ever arrive at an accurate number. It's been a lot of people. In comparison to that, there are going to be few people that have ever made it into heaven. But I want you to notice, it is a great and a vast multitude. Many, 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 trillions upon trillions upon trillions of people will make it to heaven as they have journeyed back to Eden. Now listen, if that is true, and there's vast multitudes in heaven, and we know that it is from scriptures in the word of God, then how critical is it that we tell others about Jesus and take some more with us, because if if, there, if the small portion of the equation is vast, how many people have died, lost, and went to hell without Christ for all of eternity? And that should put our heart into a posture that we are willing to be sent by the Lord and to do His bidding and to share the gospel of Jesus. At this point, John is shown the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 21.9, he showed the bride, the Lamb's wife, preparations are in order, things are ready for the scripture states his wife has made herself ready. There's no description given of the wedding supper. The Greek word for marriage means marriage feast. This will undoubtedly be an actual literal supper just as we would enjoy here on earth and Matthew 22 2 Matthew 25 10 kind of references that it's difficult to envision untold numbers of people participating in such an event but nothing is impossible with God amen John's response to all of this was so overwhelming that he wanted to worship the angel as he would worship God, but he was forbidden to do that. The messenger claimed he was a fellow servant, apparently a redeemed person, and one of the brethren with a testimony of Jesus and a spirit of prophecy. Hallelujah. And so again, we said that the marriage supper does not take place in the air, but rather in heaven. Uh, it appears clear uh, from Scripture that when Christ meets saints in the air, He will take them to heaven and present them to the Father, John 14, 1-3, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. The supper will take place just prior to the second advent, or the second coming, when Christ will come from heaven with His saints. We will read about that in Revelation 19.11, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 5, Jude 14 and 15, and Revelation 19, 11 through 21. When they leave heaven to come back to earth, you and I are going to be in that number, man. Praise God when that, the rapture has taken us, but when we're coming back, we will come directly to the earth and deliver Israel and set up a new kingdom which will continue on forever. Hallelujah. How's that for eternal purpose? Glory be to God. We're going to get into so much more in this study on Revelation about our purposes in eternity. And it is absolutely fantastic and interesting to see. Uh, so now that brings us to Revelation 19, uh, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. Now this white horse rider here is Jesus Christ. The white horse rider of Revelation 6 was the Antichrist. He went forth conquering and to conquer. Now listen, when Jesus comes back on a white horse, there is no doubt about the outcome of this battle. Jesus has come back to wrap it up, honey. He's come back because God has had enough. God's had enough of the sin, the wickedness, the evil, the murder of his people, as we talked about in uh, chapters 17 and 18 of the book. And so here comes Jesus on a white horse. It says, he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. There are no unrighteous wars with God. Now men, create, and involve themselves in unrighteous wars all the time. In fact, they're all unrighteousness rooted in the sin nature. But when God makes war, it's always the right thing to do. Hallelujah to the Lamb forever. Now look at Jesus here. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now there, there it tells you again, It said it already once in the, John's Gospel, but G, one of Jesus' names is the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Again, the blood of Jesus makes us clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. Here's another name for Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. Praise God. The main theme of the book of Revelation is the second coming of Christ. He's coming back again. And when he does, he's coming from heaven. It is stated in this portion of Scripture that Jesus will be on a white horse. He's called Faithful and True. He's called King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's called the Word of God. And He also has a name no one knows but He Himself. When He comes, it will be with authority, and He will rule the nations and rule with a rod of iron. Nowadays in our world, God's will is not always done. God's plan will always be fulfilled, but God's will is not always accomplished. For example, it's God's will that everybody be saved. He is not willing that everything should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth, the Scripture says, but all men are not saved because of man's choice and because of sin that Satan has sowed in the planet over thousands of years. It's also God's will, I believe personally, that every single person be healed. And yet we know that every single person in this life is not healed, even though I believe God desires it. We see the will of God in the actions of Jesus. When He walked upon the earth, He healed the sick. And the way that I have to look at that as a preacher, as a teacher, and as a Christian who's lost people that I love, I look at it this way. Jesus heals instantly or Jesus heals over time or Jesus heals when you get to heaven. Because his desire is that all be healed. Now those are just two examples of how sometimes the will of God on the earth is thwarted. We are instructed in the Lord's Prayer, or better said, the Disciples' Prayer. We are instructed to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in heaven, God's will is always carried out. Praise God. There's no interference. There's no demonic warfare There's no spiritual battles, there's no sin nature, glory to God, and His will is always carried out. As Jesus comes from heaven here, the saints will follow Him clothed in white linen, which is the righteousness of the saints. Together with the saints and angels, Christ comes in a glorious way to defeat the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. Now that's the unholy trinity. The dragon, Satan, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophets, but there is a false prophet, which could possibly be a defunct Catholic pope, but there are many false prophets that are serving him, and all of their armies, these will be defeated by Jesus upon his second coming with his saints. Israel will be delivered, hallelujah, And a reign of righteousness will be established on earth. Now the Bible says the crowns on his head are kingly crowns, verse 12. The Greek is diademata, and that means kingly crowns. Again, his name, king of kings. This is in contrast to Stephanos, which is Greek, for the victor's crowns of the elders in Revelation 4 4. So here you have two different Greek words, both translated in our English language as crown, but one is the kingly crown, diademeta, uh, dia and one is the victor's crowns that the elders are wearing, stephanos. There are many scriptures that refer to the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament prophets. There's much testimony about this. Uh, Enoch in Genesis five twenty-one through twenty-four, also in Jude fourteen and fifteen, Jacob in Genesis forty-nine ten, Balaam Numbers twenty-four seven and Numbers twenty-four seventeen through nineteen, Isaiah in Isaiah fifty-nine twenty and sixty-three one through five. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 23, 5, and 6, and 25, 30 through 33, Ezekiel uh, 34, 23 verses 29, Daniel chapter 2, verses 44, 45, chapter 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, Hosea chapter 2, verses 18 through 23, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, and etc. etc. There are so many more. In the New Testament Luke, Peter, Paul, John and Jude all refer to the second coming. Uh, Matthew as well. So there's just so many references into the, from the Word of God that let us know that this event is a separate event from the rapture. <clears throat> they happen approximately seven years apart and that we come back with Christ at this time. And so there's always been much speculation to the timing of his coming. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is foolish to try to set dates. And Jesus warned us about setting dates. Matthew 24 verses 32 through 51 and 25 verse 13. However, we we cannot know the day or the hour for the rapture. Okay, but now follow me. We do not know how long the, inter- the interval time will be between the rapture and the start of the Great Tribulation. We're not told how long it will be. But we do know there is a space of time between after the rapture and the start of the Great Tribulation. Mainly because I would presume that they are in peace process talks. And the tribulation starts when the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. He somehow, he brokers peace in the Middle East. He makes peace between Israel and her Arab neighbors. Somehow. And we don't know how that's going to be. But anyway, that is what starts the tribulation. The rapture is not the the trigger for the, the great tribulation. The signing of that peace covenant is. And we don't know how long that is. However, people that will be alive on planet Earth, who have given their heart to Christ, and I believe that God will supernaturally imbue them with wisdom, they will be able to calculate from the signing of that peace treaty, very, very close to the second coming of Jesus with his saints. Because they tell you exactly how many days you count uh, in the book of Revelation. Although, there is another gap in the timeline. And we've narrowed that down to about 75 days. And we'll cover that another time. But anyway, we don't set uh, dates for any coming. Uh, We know that the second coming will be uh, approximately 7 years give or take some few weeks, maybe months, after the rapture of the church. And I'm going to leave that alone right now because I am looking at putting a message together on the time delays of the book of Revelation, but we haven't gotten there yet. We hold to a premillennial second coming with the rapture prior to the tribulation, as we have explained many times. The Antichrist, fully engaged in his diabolical activities, is destroyed here in 19 Revelation when Christ comes. Uh, And we'll get to that in a minute. The millennium will follow Jesus' second coming. Christ will return immediately following the tribulation at the Battle of Armageddon. And the Tribulation is just before the Millennium, according to the Biblical timelines in Matthew 24, 15-31, and Zechariah 14. The Millennial Kingdom will be a literal kingdom, and that's important to understand because many people say that the Church has been in the Millennium since the Resurrection. And I guess they don't understand that Millennium means 1,000 years, not 2, not 3 it's a literal 1,000 years of peace and a millennial reign of Christ and the saints. And you can look this at uh, Revelation 5 9 and 10, 11 15, 21 through 10, Daniel chapter 2 44 45, 7 13 and 14, and Zechariah 14. It's a literal kingdom. The resurrection of the righteous, those who were saved after the rapture. Takes place before the millennium and they live and reign with Christ during the millennium. Let me say this so you throw a little more clarity there, maybe, or maybe I'll just muddy the waters even more. I don't know. <clears throat> the rapture and the resurrection are the same event. When the rapture takes place, every saint of God that's ever lived from Adam until the time of the rapture will be raised from their graves. And it says, then we will meet them in the air and go up together. That is the end of the age of grace. That is the end of the Christian era. And the Old Testament dead have lived in paradise And then when Jesus came, after the cross, he went there to paradise, which was in the lower parts of the earth, right across a great gulf from hell. Now, Satan had a right to take every man there, but he did not have a right to punish those who looked forward futuristically to the sacrifice of God that would take away the sins of the world, which was Jesus. So when Jesus had completed that sacrifice, he went down to paradise, or Abraham's bosom. He took all of those held captive there. They were not in the burning fires of hell. Don't misunderstand me. They were in paradise. There was... There was paradise was the upper portion, sometimes referred to as the grave, in the Bible. There was a great gulf between paradise and the burning hell side. And so the the saints of God were not being punished because they had faith in the sacrifice that was to come. And when Jesus finished his work on the cross, he went and got them and he took them to heaven. Okay? So paradise today is empty. Hallelujah. Possibly even moved to the glorious heaven of heavens. But when the rapture takes place, the bodies will come forth. See, when a Christian dies in this life, in this age of grace, instantly the soul and the spirit goes to be with Jesus. Aren't you glad? There's no such thing in the Bible taught as soul sleep. So that is before the rapture. And then after the rapture, the soul and the spirit still goes to be with Jesus when they die during the tribulation but they do not have a glorified body yet and that will take place during the millennium it'll take place right before the millennium and going on into it and then they also the tribulation dead tribulation dead in Christ we should say will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There are many signs and prophecies that must take place prior to the coming of Christ back to the earth. For example, when we've talked about it, there will be the establishment of a revised Roman Empire, as well as the revised Grecian Empire, Daniel 2, 38-44, Daniel 7, 23-24, Daniel 8, 20-25, Daniel 11:35 35-45, after the rapture of the church and the developing of the revised Roman Empire, and I'm going to stop right there uh, in these notes that I have taken, because I believe that the development of that revised Roman Empire, and I usually actually call it the one world government, I believe that that could possibly start before the rapture of the church. And however, it will run until midway through the Great Tribulation, where the Antichrist then completely takes over. Okay, then uh, will come the revival of the Grecian Empire, which will be Antichrist's uh, starting spot. You can read it in Daniel 7, 7 through 8 and 24. You can read Daniel 8, 20 through 25, Daniel 9, 27, Daniel eleven thirty-five 35 through 45, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 9, and Revelation 6, 1 and 2. During the tribulation period, the Antichrist will make a covenant with the Jews, Daniel 9.27. And then there's a lot of other events, the regathering of Israel, increase in travel and knowledge, Daniel 12.3, and all of these things are happening before Jesus comes the second time with his saints. What a powerful, powerful, powerful uh, world that we live in today, and we have a great hope to look forward to. This stuff is not doom and gloom. This this is not God's fear tactics. God doesn't give us prophecy to scare us. He gives us prophecy to prepare us. We are victors because we're in Christ. We are overcomers because we are in Christ. So let's move right along here. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about these words. <clears throat> Many passages in the Bible refer to the second coming of Christ. There are four Greek words in particular that deal with the fashion of His coming. The first word is perusia, which really means personal coming, immediate presence, it means arrival, advent, or return. It relates to the personal appearance of Christ on earth, Matthew 24, 3, also verse 27, verse 37, and verse 39, 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, and 2 Peter 3, 4. The second word is phaneros, phaneros, and it means to shine, to be apparent, to appear publicly, to be manifest, and be seen, and it's used in Matthew 24, verse 30. The next word means to come or go, and it is my, which is used in reference to the second coming of Christ with his saints. Matthew 24, 30, 42 and 43 and 48, Matthew 25, 13, also verse 19, also verse 27, also verse 31. So all the times that particular Greek word is used. John 21:23, Acts 1, 11. And in Acts 1 and 11, they say, you know, you've seen Jesus go this way, he shall also come this way. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, Jude 14, and Revelation 1, 7. And the the fourth word in Greek for uh, coming is epiphania, and it means advent, appearing, brightness, to give light, and to become visible. It's often translated in the Bible as the word appear or appearing. 1 Timothy 6, 14, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1 and verse 8, Titus <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 13, and Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. And so there's all kinds of different meanings that can be gleaned from doing Greek word studies on the New Testament and Hebrew on the Old. And so Uh, Jesus comes this second time with vengeance, wrath, and punishment will be upon his enemies. And we've read about that many, many passages in the Bible talk about that. Destruction will be on the ungodly just as a great flood. And there's many references to that. There will be great glory and power in his coming. And he will bring with him his saints and the angels. Also, read Zechariah chapter 14, verse 5 and verse 11, and first, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 through 10. And now we come to the demise of the beast. And this is at the end of the battle of Armageddon. And all, I have no idea how long the battle of Armageddon is going to take. Uh, I, I think from the scripture it seems to say there's going to be a battle going on for a little while and then Jesus is going to come back and put a stop to it. Now that's the sense of the scripture that I get when I read because you got to think about it if Jesus came back at the beginning of the battle of Armageddon I mean 13 milliseconds and that battle's over and all the enemies of Christ are defeated and all the evil is defeated So it's going to be. I think there'll be a battle. It'll last a little while. It won't look good for Israel. It it will look like they're going to be annihilated, and then Jesus comes back and saves the remnant of one third of Israel, and every one of them accept him as Messiah. That's what I believe from the reading of the text. So as I get this drink of water, turn to uh, Revelation 19, verses 17 through 21. Revelation 19, 17 through 21. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that—that that, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to That's just so amazing to me powerful. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of the kings. And the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. So now there we have another indication. As soon as they see Jesus on the horse, whoever they're fighting at that moment, and and we get that, that the war's already on from Zechariah as half the city of Jerusalem has already fallen, okay? That's where we we get that understanding that this thing's in progress. But as soon as they see the one on the horse, Jesus Christ, glory be to God and the Lamb forever, they turn immediately their attention to them in their demonic-fueled hatred. They believe they're going to defeat him. Look, Look, boys, we're on a roll. And they think they're going to defeat the Christ, and this is where they meet their Waterloo, so to speak. This is where they meet their Armageddon, right here. And against his army, that would be you, me, and the angels that come back with him. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, in which he deceived them that have received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake burning with brimstone, And the remnant of them were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So there's a little bit of symbolism in there, but it it appears that this is what it's saying. And I, I can picture it this way, I don't know, but it seems like Jesus rides on up at a tremendous gallop. To the antichrist and the false prophet and he grabs them by the nape of their neck and he throws them into hell and then he speaks a word and all of his armies die and that's just how quick it is you think of that, that is the vivid picture that we receive from these verses, this is dealing with the battle of Armageddon and uh, It's derived from two Hebrew words, Har, meaning a mountain or range of hills or hill country, and Megiddo, which means rendezvous. These two words are combined and they refer to the hill of Megiddo, the hill of the rendezvous, which is on the south side of the valley of Megiddo or Esdralon, 2 Chronicles 35.22 and Zechariah 12.11. And it's southeast of Mount Carmel. This part of Canaan that fell to Joshua had Megiddo at its capital. You can read Joshua chapter twelve, verse twenty-one, Joshua seventeen, eleven, and Judges one, verse uh, chapter one, verse twenty-seven, and it's a, this place is in a key location uh, between the Euphrates River and the Nile River, and it has been a battlefield many times in history, and here the greatest battle of all will be fought there. And there are many, many references to Scripture. Uh, In Scripture to this battle, all nations gather together. Uh, The Valley of Jehoshaphat is another name for uh, Armageddon, and it's the location according to Joel 3, where the battle will be fought from Mount Carmel, southeast to Jerusalem. So we have three names there to remember. We have... Megiddo or Armageddon we also have Esdralon and we have the valley of Jehoshaphat and that is all a part of this battle of Armageddon area so we have all of this, it's recorded in Zechariah 14 that the Antichrist will come back from the north when he's done fighting there to gather against the Jews in Jerusalem Okay, this is not the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war that was another war. Again, I'll pause and say that it's. most people call it the War of Gog and Magog or the Ezekiel 38-39 War. Again, from many of the scriptures that I have read, I believe that will start just before, sometime before the rapture. We will very possibly see that war in its beginning stages in our lifetimes. I believe it will be the key the trigger that then the rapture takes place the book of Ezekiel 38 and 39 tells us that through that fighting God will come and he will defeat Israel's enemies and there will only be one sixth of that Arab army possibly led by Russia there will be one sixth left as five sixths of them are decimated in the war of Gog and Magog Again, it starts just before the rapture, I believe. And then that is the war that prompts the negotiations for peace between Israel and the Arabs. And when that agreement is signed, that is what begins the Great Tribulation. Now that's how I see it from my study of the Word of God. Um, So Daniel... 1144 is an indication that the Antichrist is involved in conquering parts of Russia and parts of Germany and others from the north (coughs) as he starts to head towards Jerusalem. The battle of Armageddon will be fought immediately after the tribulation. and You can look at Matthew 24 verses 29 through 31. In Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 1 through 21, Jerusalem will be surrounded by the armies of the nations and half the city will be taken at the beginning of Armageddon. That's Zechariah 14, 1 through 15, and there's a couple of references in Revelation 14 and 16 to this as well. The battle will be at the the end of this age just before the millennium At this time God sets up his kingdom on the earth Daniel 244, Daniel 17:13 through 14 and 18 through uh, 27. this Battle of Armageddon brings to a conclusion Daniel's 70th week, Daniel 9.27, Revelation 13.5, Revelation 19 11 through 21. And this begins, this begins the day of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2 1 through 12, 1 Thessalonians 5 1 through 3, Revelation 19 11 through 21, and Revelation 20 that we're coming to next, verses 1 through 3. At Armageddon, ladies and gentlemen, the armies of heaven under Christ will battle the armies of the earth led by the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Allied with Christ will be earthly Israel, Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 15. The angels of God will also be allied with Christ, Matthew 25, 31 through 45, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 10. And the resurrected saints who have lived throughout all the ages. Zechariah 14 1 through5 jude 14 revelation 19 11 21 the Antichrist will unite with the devil and his angels and his demons and the ten kings and the kings of the north and the east of the ten kingdoms so there's bringing in some more territory at this battle of Armageddon. and you can read daniel 1144 and revelation 16 12. Uh, These nations have recently been conquered by the Antichrist, perhaps even on his way to Armageddon, and many other nations will cooperate with him through the influence of the three unclean spirits that were like frogs that we read about in Revelation 16, verses 13 through 16. Also, you can read it in Zechariah chapter 14 again, verses 1 through 5 and verse 16. The Antichrist and the armies under him will be totally obliterated at the Battle of Armageddon. Which, with the exception of the sixth part, which shall live, and it's kind of what the Lord did in the Gog and Magog War. Zechariah 14 and Joel 3. Nations will be punished for their persecution of Jews. Of the Jews. Listen, let me say that again. Nations will be punished for their persecution of the Jews. Matthew 25 verses 31 through 46. The earth oh hallelujah, the earth will be cleared of all rebellion and God's dominion on the earth before the fall will be realized once again. Hallelujah. Look at first Corinthians chapter 15 24 and 25 Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. The kingdom of Christ Will be established on earth. Luke one thirty two, Daniel seven thirteen and fourteen. So this is the great moment when everything change uh, changes for time and eternity once again. This was the journey back to Eden. You and I have been a part to that, and this is the the time of it reverting back to as it was in the beginning. Hallelujah. The timetable of the battle of Armageddon appears to be very short. Zechariah 14, through 4 speaks about the battle lasting for one day. The Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee, and it shall come to pass in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day, which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Zechariah 14, the end of the 5th verse through the verse 7. There is no indication here how long that day actually might be. The phenomenal results of the battle of Armageddon will include total defeat of the armies of the earth and the forces of Satan. And so you can also read Isaiah 63, verses one 6. The carcass of these armies will feed the fowls of heaven for seven months. In verse 17, the angel issues an invitation to the fowls to come and gather themselves under the supper of the great God. The Antichrist and the false prophet will be killed in the battle of Armageddon. Their bodies will be resurrected and cast alive into the lake of fire, you can also read Daniel 7:11, Daniel 8:25 and Daniel 11:45, and Second Thessalonians 2 verses eight and 9. According to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 7, that we will get to next, the devil and his angels will be sent to the bottomless pit. In this great battle, Israel will be delivered and vindicated once and for all. Praise God. God is setting up an eternal kingdom. And we're going to look at the beginnings of it next uh, time that we come together around the book of Revelation to study as we begin our study in Revelation chapter 20. There's three chapters left. And so I'm going to break it down like this. And during the teaching there will be some rabbit trails probably and some interludes that we will show you. But we're going to say chapter 20 the Millennial Age and the Great White Throne Judgment. Let me make a mention of this at the beginning. Uh, At the Great White Throne Judgment not one single solitary Christian believer will be there. Not one. Their judgment took place after the rapture. During During the time the Great Tribulation was going on on earth, the believers were at the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. They had been raptured. Jesus took them back to heaven. They have the married supper of the Lamb. They stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ that you read about in the Word of God, it's also called the Bema seat, it has no reference to salvation whatsoever. If you're a a Christian, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus, and you go in the rapture, you're not going to be judged over your sins. They've already been washed away, hallelujah, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, has to do with our works and our rewards. Sometimes people uh, mention to me, you know, brother, you, you preach that salvation is by faith and grace, but yet you also say that you need to be obedient and you need to do the works, the good works, that Ephesians, I think it's Ephesians 2 and 10, tells us that we are His workmanship, Created in him for good works. And he, Jesus recreates us when we're born again in order that we might do good works. Why? So that we might receive reward. So you see, the Christian that isolates themselves, they're going to miss a lot of the crowns of rewards that they could have gotten were they out there ministering to people in the body of Christ. Were they out there loving their neighbor? Were they out there taking groceries to those who were hungry and helping to clothe the naked? Were they doing these things that Christ commanded us to do? It's not going to take away your salvation, but you are going to lose reward. And we're not going to talk a whole lot about that in this uh, particular series, but we may do a series in the future on the judgment seat of Christ. So, yes, you're saved by faith and grace, but here's the thing. You're not saved by faith and grace to keep living for yourself. You're called as a Christian to live for the benefit of others. And you're called to do these works and then one day Christ will reward you. He will look at your heart and that's, what it, that's the judgment seat of Christ. The great white throne judgment will not have one single Christian there. It is only for the unsaved. And the verdict is all the same. There's also a judgment of nations relative to how they treated Israel. The verdict will be the same for the the people who are at the great white throne. It is a judgment. It shows them they are guilty. They have no excuse. And they are sentenced to eternal hell. And we do believe that hell is eternal. I I don't believe that people go to hell for a little while and then God annihilates them. I really can't seem to see that in the scriptures. Heaven's eternal and hell is eternal also. And so that's what we're coming to uh, in chapter 20, the, the millennial age and the great white throne judgment. And then in chapters 21... Uh, And 22, we come to the eternal kingdom and the concluding invitation, and that's going to be very interesting when we get to it. So, three chapters left. Praise God, I have had a blast reading and studying the book of Revelation with all of you, and I pray that you will uh, listen to these broadcasts over and over and over again Eventually, every one of them that you hear right here on this old-time power radio broadcast will be podcasted in the old-time power uh, on a permanent basis. So you hear it on the radio first. We are right now, as I tape Chapter 19, uh, every Friday, for two Fridays in a row, we post a revelation in the podcast. Tomorrow will be Revelation chapter five. Last week was chapter four, and so that means that the fourteenth of February, the, the second Friday in February, will be a message on another topic. Although this particular week, the you know, this is today is February sixth, so February seventh will be Revelation, and then the fourteenth will be actually a little telecast audio that I taped for TV back in, um, oh geez, I'd say probably 2009, maybe 2008, called The Jews in Prophecy. It may, it may have another title when it goes on the podcast, but anyway, it's a 30-minute program, and it talks specifically about some prophecies pertaining to the Jewish people. Um, but usually we run on a three week, a three-week schedule, so we'll do two Revelation, one of another topic, Two more Revelation, one of another topic. And we follow that all the way through the book. We are projected to get through the book probably sometime in July or August. All of the book of Revelation will be there. And while I don't want to take much more of your time up here today, I want to mention this. We have been seriously praying about doing away with our CDs. But not completely. We want to have CDs to be able to give to shut-ins. We want to have CDs uh, to be able to give to the elderly who do not have computers or do not use computers much. Uh, We want to be able to give some CD material to new believers, etc. and so forth. But we do not take CDs for sale anymore when we go hold our revival meetings all across the country. We don't have even a book table anymore most of the time. So for our partners that every month you get a package, um, from time to time there will be a CD there. But what we're going to ask you to do, where the book of Revelation is concerned, if you would please, is go to the Old Time Power podcast. And if you don't know where that is, go to the Connect site, and there's a link for it. I think, it's, I think it says uh, Pastor Len or Len on Podbean, go there and download them on your own personal computer and you can listen to them anytime you want. And if you want to listen in the car, put them on media player or just go ahead and feel free to burn your own disc, <clears throat> feel free to burn disc and give them to your friends, whatever you want to do, go to it. And we love it when the word of God is spread, amen? And so... We, we've really been praying about that because it costs the ministry uh, quite a lot of money to maintain a stock. And from time to time in revivals, I do do a book table, but I don't take, say, CDs anymore. In our headquarters right now, we have no CD stock. We have some blank CDs. And from time to time, we burn a couple messages and we write the name on it with a A a black permanent marker to give to our partners. But I want to encourage you and with all of my heart going forward to utilize that podcast. (coughs) Excuse me, because that's where the majority of our material will be. Now, depending on the way the laws go and different things in the future we may bring CDs back full force. Uh, We will just have to see what scenario develops. We will have to see what the laws are going to do uh, as it regards Christians in this nation, etc. and so forth. But until then, please make use of the podcast. Please invest in a media player that you can load up with sermons from the internet. Hallelujah you can download all of ours for free and then you can have them on your player and listen in your automobile or even in your house you can turn a Bluetooth on and play them through your uh, stereo or whatever you want to do and it would be a great blessing to us if we could not have to deal with the CDs at this point but we are prepared if need be per changes Uh, in the law, if they start heavily regulating what we're allowed to say, I will put it on CD and send it to you anyway. So I'm just telling it out in the beginning. I'll put it on CD and send it out because I'm not responsible to please man. I'm going to preach what God puts in my heart to preach. I'm going to preach from the true versions of the Bible, the true words of God, and if they want to change things around to be politically correct, it's not going to affect what I say whatsoever, one iota. Now, they might be able to censor Christians on the internet. That's one thing. But if, if it gets to that point, I will bring CDs back. We are also prepared, well, I say prepared, in the process of preparing to. Um, Really go back and do even our mailings like we did at old school, where we send out announcements and letters through the United States mail, uh, just in case things go awry on the internet. So we'll just see what happens, and I pray that you've had a great time in this book of Revelation like I have. When we come back again, we will start on chapter 20. This is Evangelist Len Paxton saying, go with God and he will go with you. Bless you now.